Thank you very much for a very kind introduction. I've brought my, um, my paper Bible. Have you seen one of these in a while? <laughs> so many people use digital devices. But if you've got one, now is the time to get it out. Because what I want from this morning, and we're going to be spending a lot of time in Luke 9. And I want you to see something. I even want you to smell something, even taste something from this scripture today. So if you've got it in your hand as well, in a minute it's going to be on the screen. Um, I'm hoping that this will engage your brain and your senses and Everything that you are. If not, then you hopefully have a good time anyway. Just listen to me. But please participate and, and, and try and um, engage with Luke 9. It's quite funny, actually, because this morning, if I don't know if you do the reading plan, with the church reading plan, um, if you are up to date, which amazingly I am, today we read the passage that I'm going to focus on today. That is some coincidence or what? I don't know. But anyway, we are. Um, if so, some of you may have already done the homework before the assignment's been set. So well done. A-star students. Um, but today, the, the, the session, um, the series title is Equipped for Service. A service. Um, serving. And I thought about service. I thought about what is service. Now, we often think about service in a restaurant context. That was bad service. I had to wait two hours for my Kentucky Fried Chicken. That was bad. <laughs> That's not fast food. Um, there's a I work in Stoke, in the, in the sort of the, the, the centre of Stoke, and there's a pub. Um, every now and then, someone celebrates a birthday, um, and there's a pub that we perhaps go to. Uh, and this pub, they serve for free, you know, absolutely free on a Friday at some uh, sort of six o'clock. Homemade sausage rolls, scotch eggs, just kind of pub food, just for free, for free. You don't have to pay. You can have as much as you like. Um, I'm not endorsing. I'm not standing here endorsing pubs, but you know, I have a coke, and but I have my sausage roll and my um, my scotch egg, and it's what great service, brilliant service. I'm not going to. I'm not going to promote it, but speak to me afterwards. And um, this isn't a pub promotion. Um, uh, you know, going shopping. The older I get, and I'm not that old, but the older that I get, I'm discovering that you know, when you go in a shop and they say, "Can I help you?" The older I get, the more. Um, my answer is yes, please. <laughs> I really dislike shopping on so many levels. So if somebody says, can I come and help you shop? I'm like, yes, finally, somebody's here to help me. So I was buying a ring for Steph not so long ago in Pandora, you know, only the best. <laughs> and they're so good in there. They, they greet you at the door and they say, can I help? I'm like, yes, please. I need a ring. She's blonde. She's about five foot, whatever. <laughs> Can you help? And they sort it out. Not just for other people. Myself, I bought a suit and I'm, I struggle with buying suits. And I was in, um, I think it was Next, and the helpful assistant sorted me out with a suit, one that I quite liked. <laughs> I haven't regretted buying yet. <laughs> and literally, she handpicked every item of that suit. It's the kind of guy that I am. I like good service. One of my favorite shows on TV, it's not on TV at the moment because it's sort of finished, um, is Downton Abbey. I can't believe I'm saying that from the front. But honestly, if, you, if you're now judging me, give it a chance. Because there's something about it that just completely charms me. Almost like a, um, you know, like a, a, a snake charmer is charmed by the... I'm, I'm charmed by Downton Abbey. I think we've lost the art of conversation. We've lost the art of when you're offended by somebody to, to, to react politely and in and, and just good etiquette. Even if you hate the person, you still call them sir. I love the kind of, I just love the, the politeness and the, just the, how things should be. <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> but if you know anything about Downton Abbey or anything about um, that period of history, um, 
lords and ladies in big manor, in big manor houses, huge acres of, acres of lands. And how, how else are they going to dress themselves? They need servants. So, of course, Downton Abbey is a lot about the, the estate and a lot about Downton and a lot about the lords and the ladies, but it's mostly about the servants. And in, even downstairs, upstairs, downstairs, even in the servants' quarters, you've got this table where they all sit and the head of the table is the butler and you've got the under-butler, you've got the various different roles all the way down to the, sort of the maids and the cleaners, whatever. You've got almost that, that hierarchy, that table, that seating plan. It's, I find it really, really fascinating. So what is service? Well, maybe service is just making life easier for other people. Maybe service is lowering yourself to maybe the lowerest so that somebody else can be lifted up. Maybe it's so that somebody else can have an easier experience. Service is that. So now we've got Downton out of the way. I might revisit, I don't know. I'm just, something about Downton has just charmed me almost into submission. Um, Ephesians 4 and verse 11 to 12. So by the way, you're still looking at Luke 9, but I'm just going to introduce in a second Ephesians. To introduce, so the title is Equip 4. This is a scripture that immediately came to mind when I thought of the title. And this is what it says in Ephesians 4. Christ himself gave, first of all, it's a gift. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Here's a key word, to equip his people for works of, keyword number two, service. So that the body of Christ may be, keyword number three, built up. So this morning, we're talking about something that builds the church. Serving, service, builds the church. Equip, kind of if you look at what the actual translation defines it as, it's sort of a perfecting or a fixing. I like this word, furnishing. So the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists are there to furnish, like an empty room is bare with nothing in it. They furnish and give the product, give the resources, give what is necessary to make that room work. The church works with servers. (laughs) So what does service mean? Keyword number two. It's to do with ministry, aid, relief, help. Wow. Wow. Equipped and built, you can kind of get what we mean by built. It's talking about building people, but also building in a sort of architecturally and structurally the house and the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Wow, this is, if you could sum up what the church is and how the church should function, here is a great definition, a great example, a great blueprint for the church. Jesus has gifted the church with apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists to equip the servants, sorry, to equip the saints, to equip the people for works of service or ministry, which in effect builds the church. So we're talking today on Service Sunday, I've just nicknamed it that, um, <laughs> about building the church, which is what hopefully some of you are excited about doing, <laughs> because we get to do what Jesus loves doing, which is building his church. So the church, Christ gave the church certain people, so certain roles, titles, responsibilities, who would equip the church with the ability and opportunity to serve others. So this is what we're talking about this morning. This is my, by way of an introduction. This, we're not going to go into sort of the theological apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors. We're not going to go into that. I'm not going to 
you know, that's another series in itself. But what I want to do is, now you've got your Bibles open, have a look at Luke 9. And I'm going to read three short passages. And what I want you to do is pay attention. And if you're looking on screen, Baz has helpfully highlighted. Pay attention to how the writer, Luke, refers to the, the followers of Jesus. Just pay attention here. This is intriguing. This is what stood out to me when I read, the, read this passage. It says, first of all, in Luke verse one, sorry, 9, verse 1, it says, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples, cement that in your brain for a second, and gave them, here we go again, gift, gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom and to heal the sick. Okay, so look, just briefly, apostle means sent. They're sent out. But let's just skip a few verses. As you can see in your Bible, there's something about Herod. We'll skip over that because it's not relevant for what I'm saying today. Let's go to verse 10. It says this. When the apostles returned. So first of all, we had the, the 12 disciples. Now we're talking about a word we've just talked about in Ephesians, the apostles. The apostles returned. So it was as if they left as disciples, but they returned as apostles. After they'd been sent out. They told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped away quietly with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him, which is laying the context for what I'm about to say in a second. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. We'll move on straight to the next verse, verse 12. It says this, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him. And said, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. I found that interesting. They started off as disciples. Jesus sends them out. They, become, they return apostles. Something happened between that moment and the moment when they're now greeted in front of 5,000 people. And they're referred to as disciples. Which suggests to me they missed something. They came back and told Jesus about all the miracles that they'd be doing. The, the sicknesses that were healed. Oh, look at all these things, Jesus, that I've been doing. Aren't I so good? It's great. I'm amazing. What an amazing apostle that I am. I don't know why I'm dancing around the stage, but you know, just a bit of swagger. They returned to Jesus almost, I don't know, they doesn't say it, but I'm using a bit of artistic interpretation. Almost boastful. Almost like, look what we've done. Jesus, look at the power that we now have. We can heal. We can raise the dead. We can Whatever. So now they're greeted with an opportunity to serve 5,000 hungry people and women and children. They say, let's just send them away. I, I don't, we can't serve these people. There's too much going on. Let's send them away. Whereas Jesus in this passage, as well as a great miracle, and not today, we're going to read the feeding of the 5,000. We're not necessarily going to emphasize the miraculous faith element. We're looking at what Jesus is doing to teach the disciples and to teach the church. So let's read on. <clears throat> Should we read on? Yeah, let's read on. Verse 12. Late in, we'll read the whole passage. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. We're not serving them. We're apostles. Who do you think we are? <laughs> But Jesus said, you feed them. 
But we have only five loaves and bread and two fish, Jesus, they answered. Or are you, seriously, Jesus, are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? Who do you think we are? We're apostles, Jesus, now. We're like the leaders. We're like the bee's knees. For there are about 5,000 men there, plus women and children. Jesus replied, okay, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Imagine the scenario. There's 5,000 people. Put them in groups of 50. Do some maths. That's like 100 groups of people. You've got one man tearing the bread, Jesus. You've got 12 guys receiving a basket or whatever, and then going to the groups and distributing them. Imagine the time (laughs) that it would take. Jesus, in all his splendor and godliness, he could have chose to make this miracle happen in a number of ways. He could have simply said, take one, pass one on. It could have been a buffet, serve yourself. It could have been a Tesco delivery man, arrive on the scene. It could have been, um, if you've ever seen Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, like an Oompa Loompa scenario, you know, they could have started eating the grass. You know, there could have been a tree over here that they could just bite into and it's chocolate. <laughs> you know, it could have been a, a, a lake full of gravy and they just sustain themselves from the food. Jesus is God, he can do anything. <laughs> But no, he wanted to show you and me, and of course, on the the occasion, he wanted to show the disciples how the church should work. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, let's add leaders, let's add preachers, let's add ministry leaders, let's add people with any responsibility, with any sort of setting of church, have a responsibility to be the greatest servants in the church, in society, in life. Wow. So Jesus is teaching us and teaching the disciples a lesson whilst doing the most amazing miracle imaginable. <laughs> Food. And guess what? Just to kind of add to it. There's how many, how many baskets and, and um, yeah, how many baskets were left over at the end? Twelve. So how many disciples were there? So what did Jesus probably do? I don't know. It doesn't say. But if there's a basket, who did he then give one basket per person to? I don't know, but the disciples. So in this process, what Jesus has done, he's modeled something and he's equipped. He's given his apostles, his leaders, his disciples some resource to serve. And as leaders and as preachers and as pastors and people in this church and whatever responsibility or title you want, your job isn't to lord it over. Your job is to provide and to serve so that everyone else can serve everybody else. We are called to be the greatest servants that we can possibly be. Jesus shows the apostles what they must do. And from this point on, I believe that the apostles now were apostles. They suddenly realized that in their humility, okay, yeah, we have a job to do here. And actually, Jesus hasn't left us empty-handed. He's given us a whole load of resource. We've got baskets to take home. We can then go and feed our community. We can then go and um, bless the ministry. We can go and serve on the kids' team now because I feel really empowered by the, the, the preaching. We can now go and serve on the, on the music team or the, or the youth team. I can now go and serve my family because they're hard. <laughs> I can now, I've got resources. Thank you, Jesus. 
So as well as fish and loaves and leftovers, what has Jesus equipped you and me with? There's many things, and I've, in true Ben preaching fashion, I've got three. Because <laughs> I, I just can only deal with things in threes. Unless they're biscuits and more is better. But anyway. <laughs> so what has Jesus equipped us with in order so that we can serve? Let's have a look at them. First one is Jesus has equipped you and me with a title. I talked for a while about apostles and disciples and this, that, and the other. Name this, name that, person this, person that. The disciples had a new role, a new job title. They were now apostles. Great. But they hadn't yet worked out what that meant. Many of us in this room, myself included, we're looking for that name to call ourselves. We're looking for that title to define ourselves. It might be, you might be seeking a promotion at work. You might be looking for someone in church to give you a job or a job title. You might be looking at your family to recognize you as the father or your wife to recognize you as the husband. You, you're looking for a, a title. We're all, maybe you're not even married and you're thinking, I really should be a wife or I really should be a mother, but I'm not. I want this title. And that's not a bad thing to go after names. Father, mother, husband, wife, leader, preacher, manager, coordinator, leader. What about apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist? I haven't got time to go into any of that. But what I have got time to go into is the title that Jesus has given you is servant. Wow. I can serve God. And that's a good thing. You know what? I've been looking for a position. I've been looking for a role. I've been looking for a place that I fit. And I've tried different jobs. I've tried different relationships. I've tried different clubs and hobbies and pastimes and all those are good. But what relief it is for me to know that, you know what, Ben? You're a servant. You're not butler or under butler. You're like the pot washer. And that's not diminishing who I am. That's not, that's not me belittling myself. This isn't a message where we should all have low self-esteem or we should all think negatively or we should all lower ourselves to the point of brokenness. No. This is a good place. And I'll explain further in a minute. The lowest is the best. We're not all called to be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, preachers, whatever. But we are, every one of you, whatever your CV says, whatever your experience, I know for a fact, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, top of your list should be serve. And if you can do that, anything else can go incredibly wrong. But if you get that one thing wrong, you're missing the point. But get the serving thing right, and all the other things will just line up in place. And guess what? If you're thinking, I don't like being a servant, I don't want to be in Downton Abbey, I want to be a Lord. And okay, that's fine. I want ambition. Please, please don't re remove your ambition. But get this. This is some encouragement. There's some good news, even more good news. It keeps getting better. John 15, we'll jump out of Luke 9 for a second. It appears on screen. Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything, for everything that I learned from my father, 
I have made known to you. So if you're not quite comfortable with the servant position, okay, you're a friend. But it starts with the servant. You don't automatically just make it. Serving is the key here. And in doing so, you become a friend of God. And that really is the only title, the only name that you need to serve. So what has Jesus given you? He's given you a title. If that's what you're seeking, and some of us are, I know I have in the past. I've got my now title. I'm a servant of Jesus. Ah, no need for a promotion. You know, if I do get a promotion, great. But I don't need anything else. I'm a servant. So what else has he given to us? Very similar, but slightly different. Number two, he's given you a position. Imagine the disciples, newly um, named apostles. They were, they were good men, but just like a lot of men, even now, we're competitive. We like to know who's the alpha male in any scenario. We like to know who is the best, who's the greatest. The disciples were competitive like you and me. But in this situation, first of all, Jesus took control. He is the alpha male. He is the number one. He is the sovereign. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the position that we could never have. And then there's only one other position left, which is next, (laughs) which we all meet. There isn't one's better than the other. There isn't a Premier League table, a relegation zone, and a, a, a top of the league scenario. I'm here standing here preaching, but, you know, people who, I think about Ken who drives the minibus, he's far more, he's greater than this. Somebody who serves on the car park is greater than this. Somebody who serves week in, week out behind the scenes administratively or cleans the toilets is greater than this. And whatever position it is you like. But I I proved to you that the disciples were competitive. Not long after, so if you read on, I won't read the, I'll just paraphrase verse 46 in Luke 9. The disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. It's like, okay, we're all apostles, we're all good people, we're all great, but who's the best one? You know, it's this competitive nature that we all have. And Jesus just picks up a small child and he says, well, whoever's the least among you is the greatest. So in position, it's not about who's the greatest, it's who's the least. That's now, now, now we're talking. And, it, you know, in, in Mark 10, James and John, two disciples, they were asking Jesus, you know, when we get to heaven, when the kingdom of God comes, can we sit, one of us sit on your left, one of you, one of us sit on the right, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 that's not my call right now. He says this, whoever wants to be a leader among you, and Paul said this earlier, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is number one, and he gave his life as a ransom. He gave his life. He became the lowest of the low. He took all of his godliness, his position, and threw it to one side to lower himself to the lower, just in the eyes of the world, scum. Jesus did that. And here the disciples are arguing about who's going to get first and second seat in, next to Jesus. We can do that. I know I 
at times think, you know what, I really want to be someone I'm not yet. I want to be, I want to live a better life. I want more. And that's all good. But it all starts with serving. And the good news is there's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Even in the church. It's not like you've got the apostles up here. Different people have different responsibilities. But ultimately, the apostles, leaders, pastors, preachers, teachers, car park attendants, um, nappy changers, whatever role in church you've got, toilet cleaners, um, somebody that stacks the chairs and sweeps the floor, we've all got the same role, position, which is servant. It doesn't change. And, uh, you know, just to prove it, I think about Downton. I said I'll mention it again. They're at this table. You've got the butler at the head of the table, and you've got all the way down. I think, Steph, can you, who's at the end? Who's, like, the lowest? The hall boy. And uh, Jesus is at a, you know, this is way before um, 20th and 19th and 20th century. This is way before, you know, Jesus. But similar scenario. Jesus is observing an occasion. He's observing a party. And he notices one thing. He notices that most people walk into that party and they aim to get to the head of the table. They aim to speak to the, the host. They aim to go straight to the top. But Jesus stops and says to his disciples, hang on a minute. What, my advice is this. When you go to any scenario, a party, wedding, whatever, go for the lowest seat. And if you're lucky, if you're blessed, that the host will, will invite you to come in to sit next to him, to the right and to the left. But you could, if you went straight to the head, you could have the embarrassment of somebody more important and more distinguished coming in and you having to relegate yourself all the way to the hallboy position where you could have been the underbutler. You could have been second to Jesus. You could have been, no. So he's, that's Jesus' advice, and he says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I, I'm kind of emphasizing the same thing. I'm trying to highlight the fact that serving is great. In the kingdom of God, there is nothing greater than a servant. So in a, on a Sunday where we're focusing on serving, in a minute there's going to be an opportunity to go and sign up for some um, ministries and to serve and to add something to your, to your life and to give something into the church. This is a good thing. This is the best thing. This is your best life. There's no greater thing than laying your life down for somebody else. So it's good. So you know what? If you're looking for a position, you've got one. You made it in. And it's, it's the lowest. It's the hall boy. It's, it's kind of out the back door where all the, the wild animals are eating at the food. But you know what? You know what? That's, uh, Jesus says that's the greatest place on earth. It's in the lowest position in which God can then raise you up, lift you up, promote you, give you opportunity, give you blessing, show you favor, pour his love out upon you, and you can be a blessing to others, serve others, build the church. Wow. <laughs> but not only that, um, the very first verse that we read from Luke in verse 1, Jesus what does it say? One day Jesus called together his whole 12, his 12 disciples and gave them. So if you're looking for something more than title and position, he gave them power and authority. So not only have you the lowest position, but you've got a whole load of power and authority given to you from Jesus in that position. But if you are head of the table, you will miss out on the, on the great power and the great opportunity, the great authority that you have. So you have a load of position. You have a huge standing in Christ. You are friends of God. 
And he calls you from that low position. And he says, come up here, sit next to me. Let's, let's work together. Let's work through your issues. Let's, I know you're not perfect. You're not the greatest. But let's work on it. And let's use you. And let's see where I can take you. But you need to be sat with me. Because if you go straight to the top, you may find yourself relegated to the bottom far away. So Jesus' own advice is to do that. So final point, and I'm drawing to a close, is Jesus has equipped you with an opportunity. Today, Paul two weeks ago preached, and one of the phrases that came out was, do it now. So there is no time like now. There is no opportunity like now. And um, the disciples at the point where there was 5,000 hungry people in front of them, they didn't notice that their opportunity was now. They thought, oh, it's tomorrow. Oh, it's, some, it's somebody else's job. Actually, they should go and sort themselves out because they're far away from Tesco, so they should probably get going now. Yeah, um, we can't feed them. They didn't notice this opportunity right before their own eyes to serve. And we could do the same. We could see many, many opportunities right here, right now. And we think, oh, someone else will do that. Oh, I'll do it next week. Um, I haven't got time today, but maybe tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. There was Well, this happens to me regularly. Steph will confirm this for you. Whenever I go to a big city, but even walking through, and the most recent example actually happened in Stoke. In the, in the town centre was walking to work and you probably had the same scenario somebody will come up to you and say have you got any spare change mate and I'm one of these people that I can't walk walk by stuff like keep going Ben keep going but I, I, something in me is, is troubled now I know especially on this occasion in Stoke they had it was at 8 o'clock in the morning they had clearly a tin of bitter in their hand it was obvious what they were going to use my money for. So I didn't give them money. I walked on by and just felt this clenching within me. I thought, Jesus, what can we do? And I go to a bigger city where the, every turn, every street corner you go on, there's a homeless person. There is a need everywhere. And I'm just sort of in this position. Where I, I want to give them. You know, I, I have no money left to meet the needs of everybody around me. And I thought in this instant in Stoke, I thought, God, what, what can I do? And the thought that came into my mind, which links very much to this, is I've got to give my resource, my money, my energy, my time, my effort into the church. Because if the church of Jesus Christ is the hope for the nations, if the church can meet the needs of this city and this world, then I, rather than giving my two pound or whatever to that person, although the need is immediate right now and I have to tear myself away, it would be far better for me to invest my money, invest my time. And I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying be kind, take your opportunities. But I think in a greater investment, if this church had the finance, the resource, the manpower, we could change this city. And I think every time I see somebody in need, I could meet that need and I will do my best. But when I feel overwhelmed by stuff and compassion and just hurt and pain and just the lostness of it all, a greater use of my time and energy 
is to give to the church. And one final summary story. Some of you might be in the room thinking, I do a lot for the church. I can't, I can't do any more. I'm maxed out. And that's okay. There's a story in the Bible. Again, where is it? It's in Luke 8, so a chapter before. And there was a man possessed by a demon, so pretty tough issues going on. You know, he's a self-harmer, chained. He lives in a cemetery, homeless. He's got all these knees that I've walked past. All these knees that give me that clenched. Oh, how can we do something, God? He was in a chain. He was self-harming. He was attacking people. He couldn't be restrained. He lived homelessly in a, in a cemetery. And Jesus, to cut a long story short, heals the guy. Rest, he just completely rescues him. He sends the demons and the spirits into some pigs. The pigs run down the side of a hill and they fall into, the sea, into a lake. And it freaks out a whole lot of people. But the one guy, the man that had been completely had his life transformed, he said to Jesus, Jesus, can I just come with you? Can I follow you, Jesus? Can I go home with you? Can I become one of your apostles? Can I become one of your disciples? Can I be, can I be somebody? And Jesus says, no, <laughs> go home. Go to your family. Go to those nearest to you. So going back to opportunity, if you're thinking, I'm not quite ready yet for church or, you know, I'm new to this church or whatever. But maybe you need to go to your family. Maybe you need to serve your wife, your children, your friends, your, your housemate, your, your colleagues, your, the people closest to you. Go home. So there's opportunities for us all in this room and at this point I'm going to invite the band to come up I'm nearly there um, and there's no better response really than a practical response I haven't got um, you know an altar call and you know offering ministry and, and, and praying for people and laying on the hands I haven't got that all lined up I haven't even got a very eloquent prayer lined up there's just one response today and we can do this in a minute when we sing this song it's that in the river song so it's a bit of a jiggy song it's a bit of a noisy song so you can have a time to think about how you're going to respond. And over at the back, we have a table where you can sign up for ministry, to do something in this church. It could be clean the toilets. It could be one day preach. It could be whatever. But it could be just, it starts with you signing up and offering yourself to serve on the kids, to serve on the youth, to serve on the, the tech team or wherever. Because you've been given everything you need. You've been given a title. You've been given a position. You've been given an opportunity. What more do you need? So as to take Paul's words from two weeks ago, do it now. Do it now. So let's pray and we'll, I'm finished and we'll sing this song. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for now. God, I thank you for your church. God, it is the hope of all nations. God, it is the hope for this community. God, your church, God, if resourced, God, and if given the manpower, God, can bring change to this community. God, we believe, God, for more. But God, I pray, God, for the people in this room, whatever they are, whatever they are thinking right now, God, I pray, God, that you give each of us an application as to how we can serve you, how we can lower ourselves and become more like you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.